Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast. This is the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I am not Matt Farrell. I am his brother. I'm Sean Farrell. And with me is Matt Farrell. Matt, say hello. Hello. Before we get into the episode, reminders, as usual, there are ways you can support the podcast. One of those ways that we greatly appreciate is just your being here and listening. Another way is to follow the link at stilltbd.fm. And when you follow that link, you will find a little cookie jar. And the cookie jar takes coins. And it does not have cookies, as Matthew has pointed out previously. We appreciate whatever kind of support you're able to give. Thanks so much for being here. Today we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which is Perovskite Solar Cells Could Be the Future of Energy. This is from September 14th, 2021. Before we get into that, I wanted to talk about some comments on our last episode, which was the episode, Is That a Diamond in Your Pocket? Nuclear Diamond Batteries. Pale Ghost asked, would it be ironic to power a Geiger counter with this battery tech? <laughs> yes, yes, it would. Yes, it would. <laughs> Might also break the Geiger counter. <laughs> oh my God, there's radiation everywhere. It's coming from inside the house. <laughs> it's coming from inside the Geiger. Kevin Busker asks, could these batteries be used in a legacy form factor, AA, AAA, coin, so that even older products could benefit? Batteries can be annoying to troubleshooting computers. One of these could help eliminate that issue. Matt, you talked a little bit about that, but do you want to go into a little more detail about how these batteries could in fact be any kind of battery yeah it's you could make them in any form factor you want eventually like whenever they start to do it it's like there's nothing that's holding them back from form factors it's it's just what kind of power can they generate like can they generate 1.5 volts in that form factor which is what you would need for a standard battery and if they can do that then it absolutely could be a replacement and if that happens <laughs> that that would be a game changer for a lot of devices. Like we talked about smoke detectors and things like that. It's if you could, if they can do it, like it would be kind of revolutionary for that form factor. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about solar cells again. We've talked about these in the past in some various levels of detail and various applications, but this one is focused on getting away from the traditional manufacturing elements, mainly silicon, Yep. And getting into other types of materials that could be potentially used and perovskite. And is the the material that we're going to be talking about today. And what I love about perovskite and I love about some of these videos that you put together is you refer to the first discoveries of these, the first the originators of some of the the elements that are being used now. And they very often include a photograph from like 1870. Yes. Yeah, And it's an old black and white or silver tone photograph of somebody clearly posing for probably a 15 minute long photo. Mm -hmm. um, seems like some of these breakthroughs that are developing now are based on discoveries of elements and combinations of elements that go back to a point where they were making discoveries without any application. It was literally yes. just identifying a material and saying, oh, I'm calling it this. And then nobody knows what to do with it until a century later. And somebody exactly. says, oh, you know what this thing can do? It can do this thing. And we need that now. Well, it's, it comes around to like what we know about physics and the universe around us. It's like we like we've known about 
nuclear uh, fusion for since we discovered how to split the atom. We've, you know, we've know how to put it back together, but we just didn't have the technological know-how of how to do it. And so it's like we've been struggling trying to get nuclear fusion working ever since. And it's not because it's not possible. It's it's because we just don't know how to quite do it yet. And we're getting closer and closer and closer the more we learn. And so it's the same thing here. It's like you have these these guys who came up with these crazy uh, discoveries in 1870. And then you're like, 100 years later, somebody finally is like, you know what? What if we took that perovskite and we combined it with this thing over here? And suddenly, whoa, we can actually generate electricity. And it's like right. that... That is so cool because it just shows the evolution of our knowledge. It's it's really neat. And it lends credence to the old saying of we're standing on the shoulders of yes. giants. Uh, it's the ladder of technological development. Nobody's doing something in isolation. They are building on the things that came before. Going all the way back to the first people to build a lever or a wheel or be able to create fire at will yep it's really quite uh it goes back to something that i've I've, I've always i try to have come across my videos which is i try my best as an individual not to say oh that's never possible it's like i don't know and it's like we don't know what we don't know and at some point somebody may discover a way to overcome a limitation that we all thought was just a undisputable fact and it's like no somebody came up with something that kind of got us around that roadblock and just unlocked a whole new potential of something um i actually have a video coming up that's about this exact thing about uh inventions that were doomed to fail before they changed the world is the basic premise of the video that i'm coming out with in a few weeks and it was a fun one to put together because like there's so many things in our lives that we take for granted that when they were invented were said that's not possible that's never going to work and sometimes the inventor themselves of that thing said this thing is not possible and then they two years later did it so it's like (laughs) it comes down to never say never you can't you can debunk anything you want and say oh that's never possible and you're just gonna it's it's a dangerous game to play it's like we we don't know what we don't know and we can learn and evolve and stand on the shoulders of those who came before us it's really neat with this technology in particular it seems like what this technology is really looking for the the use of perovskite in place of silicon in solar cell technology it's another example of finding the balancing point between cost and longevity of of the thing um you know people would say like oh the price point for me is too high but if you end up spending three times as much over a 25 year period that's not that's not a solution either and it really seems like right now that the perovskite manufacturers the people who are putting in time and research into this are really trying to find that tipping point of when does this stop being the lesser option because it is cheaper but less effective over the long run what do you think is that tipping point? What is that What is that period of longevity that would make this say, okay, it's still less than silicon, but because of the price point, it, it crosses into being useful? If you're talking about like long, longevity and, and cost, it's like, I think you'd have to be looking at solar panels that last somewhere between f- at least five to eight years and then are demonstrably cheaper than what we have available today. 
Right. And then the flip side of that is you also have to have really good ways to recycle and dispose of those things. Because if you're churning through them that fast, um, it's not a good solution if you can't do anything with it on the recycling end, because that's just going to create a whole host of problems where th that's already one of the um, like Achilles heel of solar panels that people bring up is you can't recycle them. Well, it's like technically you can recycle them. It's just not cost effective right now. There's right. not enough companies getting into it, but that's slowly starting to change. And it's something that we're trying to get ahead of. Now imagine having solar panels that only last eight years before you have to chuck them. And it's like, if we don't have a good recycling process, that could create another problem. But perovskites on the surface do look like they are more recyclable than a silicon panel, but that remains to be seen. Even but for me, I think it's, the lead is easy to deal with. I think it's more about, once again, it comes down to costs. It's like, it's not that some of it is, it's hard. It's just, it costs more to recycle it than would just be make a new one. So it's until you can, <laughs> for free markets, until you get to a point where it's more cost effective to recycle, whether that's done through government incentives, requirements or, you know, policies that force companies to have to deal with the ramifications of disposing. It doesn't matter. It's like there's something has to be in place, whether it's a financial incentive, it's just cheaper to do it by recycling it has to be dealt with. Um, so that's my only concern with perovskites and the short lifespan. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're looking at like where I think the tipping point is going to be is in the, I talked about in the video, it's called a multi-junction solar cell where it's multiple technologies in one cell. So you have the main part of the cell is still silicon. And then you have a separate cell that's capturing different wavelengths of light that's perovskites. And so you could have a three, four, five layer cell that's capturing different spectrums of light that it becomes super efficient. And even though that perovskite layer might degrade faster than the silicon layer and other layers in the grand scheme of the whole panel, it's still got a 25 year lifespan or more, and it's going to be very effective and yeah. cost effective. So it's like, there's, I think the multi-junction solar cells are where things are going to go too fast. It's kind of like EVs, how we went hybrid before we went pure EV. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I have a feeling where there's going to be a hybrid period where we're doing kind of some kind of, combination of technologies before and if we ever do get to pure perovskite and what's the lifespan again of the silicon they can last 25 30 40 years um, there's panels on the market today that have 25 year warranties and like from sun power and they only will lose about 10 percent of their efficiency over 25 years so just keep that's a warranty period it doesn't mean it, it, you have to get rid of it it's like it can keep going so it's like there are panels that can last 50 years right. most likely where perovskites are very very short right now i'm just thinking in terms of of marketing speak how effective would it be to in the short run improve efficiency for that efficiency to drop away after a five-year period let's say so that you have a panel that somebody could put in for 25 years. And if it would, with just silicon, lose 10% of its efficiency. Mm -hmm. But with the perovskite, that number would appear bigger. Yes. So you would end up with now looking like a solar panel had an efficiency that was over that 20-year period losing 25 or 30% of its yeah. efficiency. That begins to, in marketing speak, that starts to be a problem. And that's, um, it takes education of the public in a way that I don't know is actually happening in any way, shape or form. I yeah. think right now the and, and you can tell me if I'm, if I'm off base here right now, it feels like solar panel technology education 
is done largely by those who are already curious about it and go to the trouble of finding out more on their own. Like me? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 100%. The knowledge, the, the misinformation around solar panels is so pervasive. I think it's just like, oh, they don't last forever. You can't recycle them. They only last for 10 years before you have to replace them. It's like that people don't know because the education just isn't there. It's slowly shifting and changing. But like there are people that reach out to me about solar panels. I'm not going to name any names, but the, the, some of these people, I'm shocked that they don't know more than they do because some of these people are very knowledgeable of technology. And it's like, I'm kind of surprised they don't know more about it than they do. The education aspect yeah. around solar technology, I think is just starting to leak into more mainstream circles in the way that, I don't know, it feels like EV cars probably about eight to 10 years ago, mm -hmm. information about how do they work? What are they like? What sort of mileage can you get? How much do they cost? Started to leak into the larger conversation around cars in general. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I base that on is in my internet feed, I'm now seeing ads for solar. Yes. And the ads are framed in such a way as clearly intending to be educational. Yes. And there's one in particular that I see, which is a representative of this company basically going through some of the bullet points that you talk about in your videos. Like, what is solar? How will this be paid for? What could it do for you? And pointing people to a questionnaire, an online questionnaire of like, you punch in a bunch of numbers and it tells you some, some details around what you could expect as far as monthly cost and savings and all those sorts of things and pointing you towards some governmental programs that might help pay for mm -hmm. some of these things. Seeing a targeted ad like that lets me yeah. know that, okay, there's people who see an opportunity here, a business opportunity. They are going to be bringing this to the wider masses because they're trying to sell them a thing as opposed to the scientist in the back of the room with the lab code who's saying Eureka. Yep. Yep. People aren't really catching the Eureka. They get the sales pitch. So as that sales pitch starts to move forward, that tends, I think tends to be a lot of the messaging around some of this stuff. And that's why when you say, Oh, a multi-level thing could be a great solution. It's going to take some spin to convince people. Yeah. A thing that, has a component that's going to break down in five years is a good option. Right. That's a very particular pitch that the, I don't, the, yeah. But the question mark of will it break down in five years or are these companies like Jinko solar and the other companies that are working on bringing these to market, have they figured out a way to seal it in a way that it won't degrade like that? It's like, that's right. the whole question mark of, I will never say never when it comes to this technology, right. it does the industry has been looking at perovskites as kind of the holy grail of where things could go because it gets past that. It's called the Shockley or Quasar, Quasar, I never say his name right, limit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Moore's Law and CPUs where like it was going to double every year for X number of years and it was going to hit a ceiling. Right. And the ceiling was supposed to have gotten here and we kept going. And the ceiling right. was supposed to have gotten here we kept going because we kept finding more ingenious ways to get around those limitations. Right. It's the same thing with the solar panels. There's a limit where it's like, oh, you're going to hit this 30% limit and you can't go past it. Well, they're finding ways to get around it. And then there's these multi-junction solar cells, which is allowing us to get even further past it. And it's, there's these things that are 
evolving and we're learning about it where in theory that limitation of solar panels is true but we will most likely blow past it and for me the whole thing about efficiency and this comes with evs as well and batteries i find the efficiency argument kind of a red herring personally because the efficiency ultimately doesn't matter if it's cost efficient and is a better user experience than the competing thing that it's going against right so if perovskites are less efficient like i mean less lifespan so it's less efficient cost wise or something like that it's like does it really matter if it's demonstrably cheaper and yet takes you might have to change your solar panels two maybe three times the same period that you'd have a silicon panel does it matter if the overall cost is cheaper right does it matter if you're able to recycle those panels effectively it's like right. it, the answer would be no it doesn't matter so if there's a point of which efficiency doesn't matter if you can answer all those other questions so let me can, throw out some questions yeah. to you right now yeah. uh looking for some numbers which you may very well not have in your head and if that's yeah, the I, case I probably then, don't <laughs> then, then this is a conversation for another day but it would be questions like okay what is the what is the general cost around making a silicon solar panel versus a perovskite one? What is oh, the, I don't have those numbers on hand, but, um, it's a loaded question because <laughs> it depends, it, de it depends heavily. There are solar panels that you can get that are made in China that are silicon and they may only last you 10 years. And then right. there are sil silicon solar panels that you could get from a company like SunPower that are the t the cream of the crop and they will last you 30, 40, 50 years and lose very little degradation. So it's like, it's a mixed bag where right. that cheap one is like really cheap compared to SunPower, but it doesn't have a lifespan. So it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a loaded question of which is cheaper. Perovskites is cheaper than producing a silicon cell. Okay. Period. So just measuring it's it based cheaper. on, on the, the materials themselves. Correct. It's, just, it's are cheaper because the, this you can basically print it. Right. You can print it. Where silicon, you're having high heat and all this crazy stuff. Perovskites, you could literally like not not like an, ink, an actual inkjet printer, but you can like literally print it onto a film right. and it works. Where silicon, you're not doing that. So it's like that you're producing things for twenty five cents versus a silicon which might run a buck fifty or something like that. So right. it's it's much much cheaper just to produce it. And you had numbers in there, basically energy production costs. Mm -hmm. which in the perovskite was much cheaper. Yes. And it's because the the cheaper materials going into it. Correct. So the electric production over time is a cheaper option mm -hmm. with perovskite. Mm -hmm. And it's the measurement of if you have to replace it every 3 years or every 8 years you're looking at like well how many times do I have to replace it? How many how many different times do i get new panels mm -hmm. so the overall expectation right now we could also safely say if you got perovskite panels today mm -hmm. by the time you'd have to replace them technology would likely have yeah. evolved perovskites are developing so quickly yes do you have the same expectation around silicon no Silicon's, uh, the advancements in silicon, it's, I wouldn't say it's slowing down, but it's definitely, it's a far more mature product. Right. And so the advancements in what we're doing with them are much smaller. 
we're in that last few percentage points of eking out everything we can out of it. Would you say it's similar to miles per gallon in car manufacturing that going back to the 1970s when they said we need to improve miles per gallon because this car is is getting nine miles per gallon. And then Mm -hmm. you start to get to the efficiencies we see today and there may be a a cap on how much Mm -hmm. more you can squeeze out of that gasoline. Exactly. It's that uh, Shockley Quasar limit. It's like the closer we get to that, the slower the, the improvements get. But it doesn't mean solar panels is slowing down for improvements. Perovskites are rapidly improving. So it's like if you got a solar, if you got a perovskite panel today, and let's say it lasted you eight years, by the time it comes to replace that, I would put good money that the next perovskite panel that's going to be available for you will be demonstrably better than the one that you're replacing. Mm. It would not shock me at all. And for you, as you're moving forward with building a new home, mm-hmm. is this a is this a question you're asking yourself of which one do I go with? Or no. do you know, like, no, I'm going with the known quantity. I'm going with what I'm, I'm going with the known for. quantity. I'm going with silicon cells. I'm probably going to be getting like LG panels is most likely what I'll probably be getting, which is what I have today. They're phenomenal panels, very efficient, very cost effective really good long lifespans. I'm looking for something that will last me 30, 40 years. So I don't want to ever want to replace them. It's like when I buy them, I want them to last my lifetime. I want to be done. So that kind of opens up another line of questioning, which I had, which was, do you see the market for the perovskite not necessarily being individual consumers, but being maybe the large scale uh, electric producers where they would be saying like, we're going to put in five acres of panels Bingo. in this field. And then as they break down, we're just replacing them over time. We, we're not worried about longevity. We're just worried about efficiency and productivity. I, I, that's where I put my money is. I think it's going to be commercial scale. Solar is going to be the first area you're going to start seeing perovskites. I also think you're going to start seeing it more because of the way it can be printed and the way it, it can be produced. Like imagine on top of skyscrapers or perovskite being used on transparent uh, solar panels for windows on buildings it's like you're going to start to see it in more unique use cases as well as grid scale installations versus somebody like me who's putting panels on my home it's like i don't think you're going to be seeing perovskite in people's homes for years it's like i think you're going to start seeing it in fields like you said a five acre field full of perovskite panels i think that's where you're most likely going to see it and what do you think about the one of the things that I wrestled with as I was watching your video was the question of whether or not a architect and a building owner would go to the trouble of putting in a perovskite window with the potential longevity of that being just a handful of years. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be, do you think it would make sense from a cost perspective to say, okay, we're putting this in and potentially in five years, we're going to have to replace that window. It's or a good th- question, but I can't answer it right now because I'm actually looking into this now. Me and uh, one of my researchers are currently investigating transparent solar panels. So okay. I am going to have a video coming up on this. And so hopefully right. I'll have a, a good answer about that soon. Yeah. Because that was one of the things that I know going into building design and the ability to do something like replace a window in a skyscraper, it's not an easy task. 
And no. so as the video, as I was watching your video, I thought, well, it would be fantastic to say like this building has even windows that are generating electricity for it. But then the nuts and bolts aspect of it really made me scratch my head of would that be such a short term thing that the cost of that would be prohibitive? So I'm looking well, forward to your future video. I've actually talked to uh, businesses that have renovated buildings into like the platinum lead standard for like the most efficient building you can do. And in my conversations with different people that have worked on those buildings, it's I always ask the question of like, so what's the return on investment here? And they get super cagey, super mm, fast. And just yeah. reading between the lines of all the conversations, it always comes back to, well, this building's a showpiece. Yeah. This building's a showpiece of what's possible. Yeah. And they never come out and say, it's not worth it financially. Because the honest truth is, if you did everything these these crazy buildings are doing, like everything, you're never going to earn that money back for what you're going to save. It's it's so crazy expensive. Right. So it's like, that's part of why, like the buildings that are being built that are using key aspects of those things for a financial advantage are not doing them all because they're all crazy expensive and have to be replaced or regutted after eight, 10 years. And it doesn't make any sense for financial reasons. But if you're trying to prove a point of what a building could be in the future, that's why they're doing it. Yeah. But some of these buildings are like, you know, the adoption curve, they're like so far out in front of that adoption curve that it's kind of like, yeah, well, why did you do this again? Yeah. <laughs> just, this building cost you uh, $2 million to renovate when it could have been $1 million and you still could have had an efficient building. It's like, yeah. what are you doing? I, I think that that's a demonstration of one of the things you've promoted on your channel is the idea that a lot of this adoption takes place when somebody somewhere stands to make money. Yes. Somebody, you know, the, the, the capitalist aspect of it, of, of, somebody can be out there saying like, I love oil. Oil is great. Oil has, has created the modern world that we live in. And as soon as that person sees dollar signs over here with solar, they're like they, exactly. dropping oil and they're moving over to solar and they're excited about the opportunities now that solar can provide. And I'm a person who says, okay, there's everything you just said about like, they build that showcase building and they're like, kg about what is the return on investment mm -hmm. and i'm a person who says sometimes you should be doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do 100 percent, i agree with, and, i agree with that yes yeah. so it's like you and i that's that's a little bit of like we fall a little bit not that we're at opposite ends of a spectrum but we fall a little bit on either side of that line because for me it's a little bit of I wouldn't want a building to be built with these windows, which in five years would just be garbage windows. Exactly. But, but I do encourage the thought process to be, well, doing it because it's the right thing to do should well, also be part of the equation. You need people that are pushing that envelope because the more that do it, it helps to drive the overall costs down right. for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And as the costs drop, those people that are, don't believe in climate change or are pro oil or I don't care what your reasoning is. It ultimately doesn't matter, which is why I keep coming back to was a cost because money is where everything follows. So if there's money to be made or money to be saved, it doesn't matter what your underlying beliefs are, right? You're going to go after it. And for me, I want as much adoption on this stuff as possible. So how can we get it cheap as fast as possible so that people want to do it? And you do need early adopters to demonstrate that something is real. Yes. So. As yes, you, that as it is possible. It can work. Yeah. yeah. 
So my question to the listeners would be, given the expenses that some of you may have, have found in your own research looking at potentially putting solar onto your homes, how many of you out there decided that the price point was just too steep? And how many of you would say, okay, a cheaper but l- shorter lived option would be something that would be enticing for you? I'm curious about that part of the discussion. Me too. For me, this is uh, largely abstract. I do not own my home. So for me, the idea of, okay, which type of panel? I'm not putting panels on anything at any time soon, but I am curious <laughs> to find out for people who have said, ooh, I wish I could do solar, but it's just too expensive. Would this be an option that you would say, okay, that's that's the right fit for me? Let us know what you think. You can let us know by following the contact info in the podcast podcast description, which suddenly is a phrase that's more difficult to say than I thought it would be. (laughs) And if you're on YouTube, you can just scroll below the video and leave a comment there. Don't forget, there are multiple ways to support the podcast. Keep using your ears and your eyes, listening to us on your favorite podcast provider or checking us out on YouTube. You can also visit stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link there. Wherever you're checking us out, please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel, the channel helps Matthew, and then Matthew eventually will give me very old solar panels. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.